This is Focal Point, the podcast where we discuss the artists, themes, and processes that define and sometimes disrupt the world of contemporary photography. I'm Kristen Taylor, curator of academic programs and collections with guests Kenneth Josephson and Marilyn Zimmerwoman. Ken Josephson is one of the first artists to work with photography conceptually. He began making pictures about photography itself in the 1960s. At that time, the medium was just becoming accepted as an art form worthy of exhibiting and collecting. Josephson was one of the few artists willing to think critically about the limitations of the camera. Many of his images playfully pushed the boundaries of the viewfinder and the borders of a print, often placing photographs within photographs or showing his own hand within the frame. He lives in Chicago with his camera always in tow, where he continues to make gelatin silver prints in his own darkroom. Marilyn Zimmerwoman is an artist and educator who is dedicated to teaching where the arts and social justice intersect. She is currently an artist in residence at the Center for Peace and Conflict Studies at Wayne State University in Detroit, where she also taught photography for 40 years. Her work centers on issues of gender, race, class, and economic disparities and pushes for people to become citizen artists, participating in global actions around justice. She often collaborates with her partner, Ken, to create images that playfully push expectations of a photographic portrait. Ken and Marilyn are both artists included in the museum's permanent collection, and normally we discuss a work they have each chosen from the museum's collection, but to help stop the spread of COVID-19, we are recording this session over Zoom and not in person. So they'll be talking about several works that they have in their home that have been made by Josephson over his multi-decade career. These images will be posted to the museum's website at mocp.org focal point, um, so you can always go and see them there. And also because we're recording over Zoom, the quality of this sound might not be as good as if we normally record in the WCRX FM radio station. Well, welcome and thank you for joining us today. Um, and I, I was lucky enough to meet both of you a few times before now, and we talked a lot about the normal questions that I think you get about conceptual photography and your immense background in photography, but I wanted this conversation to be a little bit more relaxed and to focus on the, your collaboration together and um, how you're faring right now as image makers in this time of social isolation, because it's just a very unique time to be speaking with one another. So hopefully we touch upon some of the things in your background that everyone I'm sure wants to know about with you studying at Institute of Design and how you arrived at conceptual photography. But my questions are gonna be a little bit more about your collaboration and your relationship and your partnership as, as artists. So to start, I thought, I hoped you guys could um, talk about the pieces you chose because normally we meet in the museum's vault and we look at prints together that are in the museum's collection, but since we're separated, you have, a print up right now that I hope you can describe um, verbally to people since if they, they're not looking at it and they're just listening to headphones so they can imagine it, uh, what it looks like and what stood out to you about this image of as all the images you've made or that you have in your home right now, why you chose to talk about this one. All right. Um, first of all, I, I feel like I'm maybe trapped in a Mr. Rogers neighborhood episode because this is coming from my living room and I'm casually <laughs> dressed. And so uh, anyhow, boys and girls, uh, this particular image I made in 1964. And uh, basically I wanted to uh, create a sequence of images uh, that would end up within one image. 
rather than uh, stringing out from left to right three images or four images. Uh, so that I, I, as you can see, I photographed uh, on Polaroid the uh, image from a, a distance. So it is kind of a, a short journey as I moved toward this tree. Uh, then I placed the, the first image onto the bark of the tree and made a second image on Polaroid. And then placed that onto the bark for the final two and a quarter inch film image. Uh, and I uh, felt that it uh, as a contained sequence was more interesting than stringing them out. And I think I was probably influenced by some of the work of uh, Edgerton, perhaps, who did a lot of motion studies of athletes and uh, in which the, uh, the sequential time was recorded within one image uh, through uh, uh, electronic flash. Um, so I think Marilyn wants to add well, some. Also, I think, Ben, when you talk about your logic class and how that led you to be the most expedient about how to get somewhere in the most uh, direct way yeah, yeah. informed your decision to how can I make a sequence within one image? Mm -hmm. Isn't that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. That and, makes sense, yeah. And that expediency of a, a kind of a Swedish sense of design and aesthetic also. Mm -hmm. And um, you have a clarity in your thinking that it, it is essentialized often and you can just cut through in one sentence a very perceptive description of what's going on, of, of what we're seeing, of, of and everywhere. It, it, and what I find about your way of articulation is that it's been very inspiring for um, students who may not, who may be um, less verbal or more quiet to see how you can have such an expediency of words in a moment where we're have such a hyper theoretical framework. But in your expediency of words, it also speaks to your expediency of composition and the accessibility through formalism. So clarifying the theory that has evolved to become such a mega theory. And um, kind of the hyper articulation that MFA programs have become. Yeah, yeah. It's a way of being very uh, economical. Uh, it's the way I kind of think about it. There's a saying about writing that writing should be so essential so that every word is, is gold. And when you're writing, if you have to make a short essay, you need longer to write it because it has to be so uh, clear that there's every word is structural to that meaning there, there's a there was a a study made uh, to find out the very basic use of objects and, and one study was the use of a pencil and uh, pencils were given to a group of children and 
they were asked what what they were best suited for or made for doing, using, and people would say draw or uh, write uh, uh, words. And then finally one person said to make marks. And that's the very basic thing about the use of a pencil. It, it can make holes in things, but it makes the, the best use of it is making marks of some sort. And uh, I, I always admired that kind of way of uh, getting down to the very pure use of something or of an idea or whatever. And I've uh, always uh, had that in mind. Have you ever had have you ever tried other mediums? Because when I look at this image that you have up right now, I think of music and I think of the notes repeating. And I studied painting in, in my background and I've never tried to be limited to the, to the camera because I find it frustrating that you can only do so much. Of course, you can do so much more. You have to be very inventive and creative like yourself, but with your interest in rhythm and kind of repetition, have you ever tried other materials or has it always been about the camera? Only um, the use of found objects, uh, uh, some kind of sculptural, sculptural ideas. Um, I, I, I'm very fond of music. I, I listen to it a great deal and uh, I, I enjoy it very much and I, I'm sure it's influenced my work in some way. I, I'm not sure exactly how, but maybe you observing can understand maybe some kind of connection more than I would. I think the limitation of the frame is helpful for, um, because it, that, that the limitation is what helps to have such a clarity of, um, Composition and those, so those, the creation couldn't go deeper within that limitation of the framing. Because in my undergraduate um, degree in painting, I never knew when a painting was done, but somehow there was more of an aesthetic click and a photograph. And, and that was so made so much more clear in the process. And so that's what made me choose photography. And there, there's a sense that. Um, Ken and I both read a lot, and Ken read a lot as a as as a boy, and he talked. You talk about his excitement going into a library, so we're both readers. Our our time here spent during this um this moment of um, being confined in our space together, um, this quarantine is that our our days are like a library, and we're very quiet, and that we're going into our interiority. And, and there's big expanses of silence. And um, two hours of silence, by the way, builds brain cells. But it also is a sense of a, a, a deepening of that own dialogue. And I think that that sense of questioning and that sense of excitement and that sense of going deeper is what was mined for both of us in our, in our sense of our reading and our solitude and a strong sense of self-reliance and agency. And I, I and, and that this was made by Ken in a time when um, that kind of um, 
reference of the photograph was being displaced from being the equivalence of the landscape and um, a sense of an experiential reality equivalent to the vastness of the mountains or um, truth itself in um, forensics. That, that interruption of the frame or that the image about the image making it self-referential was uh, made at a time where it was violating the previous world rules. So it was a, um, a, a violation and that introduction of the hand was a violation and he felt a gut response. But as this photograph was made, it's Chicago, 1964. It's the image of the tree within the tree closer within an image of a tree closer. And so it uh, speaks to the recursive patterning of representation, which speaks to fractals. And fractals was first used by mathematician Benoit Mandelbrot in 1975. So this was made before fractal was named and brought to the public awareness, but it's so about that. And so that's interesting about has artists intuitively absorb in this kind of um, uh, collective consciousness what's um, evolving because we are a verb. We are a verb, we also are evolving with it. So I find that for this photograph representing that and a fractal is a never ending pattern. Um, they're um, self-referential. They're created being a repeating of a simple process over and over in an ongoing feedback loop. And so Ken's images speak to that clearly with an accessibility of formalism and a sense of clarity. So fractals are um, a sense of an infrastructure all around us. They're modeling structures from eroded coastlines to snowflakes. And um, examples include clouds, clouds, snowflakes, mountains, river networks, cauliflower, broccoli, our systems of our own blood vessels. And then um, they're in the physical realm, limited by space and form, but um, they're also, in theory, fractals repeat to infinity. And so this is a duality in terms of an object. It's a flat image and it speaks to the flat image of the photograph, but it also speaks to that sense of fractals being that infinity of experience that this is also that the trees represent in terms of their own um, mimicking of the blood vessels from the top of the tree, equal to the bottom of the root system, and that they're systems that reflect how we are created. So it's like fractals speak to the holographic universe, that what's when in the one is in the whole, and the systems of the tree are related to our inner system. And so as fractals relate to the sense of the holographic universe, it also speaks to that sense of, in the reference to <clears throat> the photograph, what's or the holograph what's in the one is in the whole to our sense of being human so this is interesting about what we make as images are also where we're at in terms of this being human and the idea of a holograph what's one in the whole is like what Rumi said when he goes he wrote to us Rumi's a 13th century Islamic poet 
mystic lover of humanity. And he wrote, you are not a drop in the ocean. You are the entire ocean in a drop. That's great. And I love that you chose this example to talk about your work. And then the other that I understand you're going to talk about is of your son holding a photograph. And thinking about a lot of things you both were just saying, I feel like that image now has new meaning for me too about family and this idea of your children sort of being like part of your own fractal. Like I've never thought of parenthood in that way, but um, is that something you were thinking about when making that image or should we switch to that one and talk about it a little bit? Uh, <clears throat> this image of um, my son, Matthew, he was two years old at the time. And I was uh, out with him uh, making some Polaroid images. And I also had my 35 millimeter camera with me. And as he was, uh, I was showing him the images, he would pick them up and look at them. And, and then he suddenly put that one up to his face. So I, I, I made a, a 35 millimeter image of him doing that. And he was mimicking uh, uh, the way I was holding the camera with his finger on the, what would be the shutter release. And uh, he could, because there's the image on the paper is translucent, he could see, see through it. Uh, of course, not when it was right up to his face, but he was thinking, I think uh, he was making an image with a camera or using the, the image as a camera. So it came together, I thought, uh, unexpectedly, I didn't plan this out or anything. It just happened. And I was, happily, I was able to record that. Uh, but it was, uh, it speaks to, you know, the, uh, a child's curiosity and playfulness and uh, all the things that little children are, are made of. <laughs> also, um, there was this image. Yeah. I love it. This is the one you told me about <laughs> yesterday when we talked. <laughs> it's great. So in case anyone's listening only on radio, <laughs> we need to describe this one visually. <laughs> would you like us to describe it or would you? Sure, yeah. So we see um, just from the neck down, a woman's shirt and her cleavage is poking out with four photo corners attached to her body around the cleavage, framing it. It's great. I love it. I've never seen this one, but you told me about it earlier. So did you make this just recently or? Tell us about it. Well, well, this is more a while ago. The, the one that we, no, was this it? is 2008. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but the last one was more recent. It was like last year. Last year. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we've been together um, 13 years, but we've been friends. Uh, we met at the Art Institute, so we've known each other since 76. So we mm -hmm. stayed friends all this time. It's really good to be friends for decades before you become partners. Mm -hmm. everybody's life <laughs> yeah. but. especially right now as we're all stuck indoors with one another <laughs> so, 
This reminds me, though, of an older piece that you made that we have in our collection, though, where it's it's more just on her, like, uh, I guess, like, underwear region. I don't know how to describe it so much, but, like, you have a, a photograph on top of a woman's body where she's clothed and then nude in the photograph laying on top of her body. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is that so, the, the Sally one with the, yeah, with the, the Polaroid. Polaroid looking through her clothes? Yeah, and it's yeah, the, I can't remember the title right now. Out of her bush, over no. her yes. mini yeah. skirt, and that's yeah. one of his biggest sale items, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody wants that one because it's actually like looking through women's clothing, like how you know men unconsciously dress women, or there's just that. And so when Ken got um, a corrective lens surgery, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. And um, Ken's very modest, so so I'm all about letting them know who he is as a photographer and look on his, look at his images and this is who he is. And so he, you know, everybody loves the image of Sally with her mini skirt and then the uh, Polaroid. So when we came back to get the overview of how successful the operation was, Ken thanked the um, surgeon. surgeon for also conducting the surgery so that he could now see through women's clothing like he always wanted to. And the doctor <laughs> was right there on the joke and said, I'm glad you are giving me that gratitude, but keep it a secret. You <laughs> were knocking down his door. <laughs> yeah, right. That's right. <laughs> well, that's what I love about this photograph and the other one that we were talking about is you're sort of calling out, I think, a very common pattern with um, male photographers photographing women. and maybe using the camera as an excuse to get them undressed for the camera. So I love that, that that humor again, but it's also like a sort of dark humor because we know how real these types of photographs are and we've seen them so much. So I love it. It's great. And in Maryland, it seems like, yeah, you're, you're kind of prompting the joke forward and, and being a very willing model, which I love. <laughs> yeah. I love it also because um. I mean, it's it's the it's the male gaze, but it's um, it's double coded because there's the reference to the 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 body, the the figural form, and the snapshot too, and which men are so enamored by. But then he has and this okay, and then the and then with the photo corners, right? Like the snapshot that is so um, the sense of in family albums and everybody's uh, images of their family and that context of the everyday use of the camera. So it, it collapses that and makes it a, a photograph about photography, about the history of photography, not only in terms of how it's used in that large social sphere, but also about um, that sense of, um, in terms of the larger look at the progressive art forms when minimalism was so much a part of art for art's sake and that sense of, um, to such a degree that, that it blew people away because that, that was a huge shift for a lot of artists that were working so representationally. Yeah, yeah. And, and like, this isn't Polaroid, but the use of Polaroid, uh, I think, uh, uh, I'm not sure if Dr. Land really intended this, but uh, it was uh, very useful for pornography because you could bypass the processing houses. Right. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're you're not having another set of eyes on the things you're making. 
Yeah, right. so interesting. <laughs> and they, uh, processing houses used to confiscate uh, pornography. Yeah. And people at camera stores used to talk about happy couples buying the SX-70 and he knew what their intent was. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you all, when you're photographing together, how do you work out your two personality types? If, if Marilyn's more of an extrovert and Ken, you're more of an introvert, and you're both artists and you're making images together, is there a long negotiation process or is it pretty natural? It seems to be pretty natural, uh, pretty much flows. Um, um, Marilyn will come up with an idea, especially through her clothing, uh, uh, and I'll have an idea of uh, how the image uh, should be posed. Uh, and we work together on it usually. Actually, uh, Jennifer Norbeck put this together when we had a show. The gallery owner. The gallery owner, Jennifer Norbeck, at their gallery. We had a show, and it was about the photographs that we collaborated on. And it was, and then the sense of referencing Marilyn. So as Ken's makes photographs about photographs, so he he was meta before meta was meta, <laughs> as uh, Chris Borelli coined when he wrote about him. So I'm I'm like Meta Marilyn. Like um, <laughs> my dad said that he named us all after movie stars, and I have an older brother named John Wayne Zimmerman. Um, <laughs> and when and when Marilyn Monroe committed suicide, I was nine, and I came home, and my dad. I mean, all all day, I was teased. Like um, I was a majorette. I went to majorette practice, and all of the little girls. Like when I came to practice, they all ran away saying, she's a ghost, she's a ghost. So everybody was projecting Marilyn onto me. So my peer group was, <laughs> and then I came home and my dad who adored me and was a workaholic, alcoholic as every 1960s white collar worker was largely, a wild boy trying to be in that kind of sense of that constrictive uh, workforce to a wild man and the wild boy inside. So he, so he greeted me and then first words he said was, don't you ever do what she did. Don't you ever give up. You're just like her. You're just like her. You're beautiful. You're talented. Don't you ever, ever give up. And Marilyn, the iconic Marilyn that we inherited as, a, as the one that we all love because she was vulnerable, because she was also a lot of fun, because she brought humor and her vulnerability into sexuality. And so that sense of childlikeness hooked all of us in terms of us all feeling our own insecurities and vulnerability. And, but that's also where you're most authentic. So that's that sense of why she's been so enduring. But that sense of like, I feel like I carry her hope consciously in terms of owning that download culturally because all of us energetically my peer group were the, was the me generation that was the first to download the television, the, our own uh, sense of our own peer group of music and, and, and the media. And then increasingly the media is so influential to us in terms of who we are as a human being that, and, are, and then we're evolving with this so that we have inherited families. So this is my inherited sense of identity that I had to incorporate and I could own it and work with it and move it beyond and carry her with me 
into my own evolution of being a radical anti-sensational feminist. And um, so we, we all have different paths, but this was another photograph. This is bigger. Yeah, and I've seen this one online. I love it. It it really reminds me of this artist, Natalie Crick. I don't know if you've seen her work, but I'll send you her link. It's fantastic. She plays a lot with um, photographing her mother and herself and oh, yes, the prints right, on them. Right, yeah. right, 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 yes. And um, and so this is another one that I go, I go here, we, here I am. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and mm -hmm. it was like that, this is our backyard and it was all of that. And I placed myself there and and I have my my sunglasses that have that pattern, and 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 there's Ken's shadow. So there's that's a sense that because we both the stalker. <laughs> <laughs> it's always the shadow going image right, to image. Right, right. <laughs> and, and so we we just can we can just confluence and find that third way so easily. Mm -hmm. It's always about humor and fun and and that sense of visual pleasure and mm -hmm. uh, celebration of our. Of our of of our pure delight in each other, and then loving the same things, loving photography, loving the same sense of aesthetic click. When we go to museums, we are drawn. It, it really does. There is a very harmonious sense of being together. Hmm. And, and I and I also invest a lot in you know I in wildly patterned you know pantyhose, and so I I do I do create a wardrobe to in order to be out there in the world in a performative way. And, and my extroversion, wow, we balance each other because Ken is very clear about his boundaries and that kind of sense of, in the best sense of the male entitlement, that he's you know, like, no, I'm not going there. Mm -hmm. and, and, and then I, being every beautiful woman has had her boundaries invaded because there's mm -hmm. something about that culturally that men think a beautiful woman is theirs too. So, okay, what else? There's one picture we have in our collection too of Chicago, the lakefront, where you've woven sea prints and gelatin silver prints, and sort of, I think, playing with our perceptions of color and black and white. And can you tell us a little bit about that picture and your thoughts on color, since mostly it seems like you photograph in black and white? Uh, which image is that now? There's one, it's of the Chicago lake front and the skylines in the background and it's it's oh. like woven black and white and oh, color okay. they're postcard images right that um one of the things was i, I wanted to um show the architectural changes um uh, in, in the city but also to uh show the difference between color photography and black and white photography how a different set of information is given, whether it's black and white or, or, um, or color. And black and white is pretty much confined to tonal values where, uh, where color, you know, is um, mainly uh, concerned with, 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 the, with the color of the objects. Uh, and the color of the light or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I, I just wanted to uh, show differences in, in the two mediums. Yeah, it's we, we talk about it with students a lot when we're talking about that one color theory 
but oh no this is another i love this one okay the one yeah i can send it to you it's like it's longer horizontal strips yeah i know which um but thinking too about the ideas of photographic truth that your work is always so great to talk with students about that of all the different ways you could tell a story and the choices the artist makes and even just size or color these things that seem so I don't know, basic or not interesting then you talk about just all the different ways then the person reads that image after you've made that choice and how it interpret or changes their idea of what that moment was so it's interesting to me too because you don't have a lot of color work so it seems like it's not necessarily a critique but sort of declaring a preference that you you want to stay in black and white but we just discovered that he's colorblind to a degree oh, so all wow. of us may have different nuances of perceiving color mm -hmm. so it was when we were painting a fence and i can match color but i let him make the decision so that when he painted it it would be, I thought it would be obvious, but it wasn't. But then I read about colorblindness and in some colorblindness, you see pattern more than other people. So, so, so in a way, in terms of perceiving in black and white, he has a unique perception of that through his colorblindness. But you never knew it until just recently. Yeah, right. Uh, I don't think it's severe, but it, it, yeah. there's certain colors I, I don't interpret correctly, I guess. That's like the challenge of having like, you know, hypervigilant partners that like we have in each other. You know, you're made more aware and alert and you discover things about you. And women have more connective tissue between the right and left hemisphere. So we tap more areas of our brain when we talk and speak. And that's why we can recover better from strokes. But, but I find that no matter where I go in my interiority and I speak from it, that Ken's always there. It's beautiful. I think we're getting close to, to being out of time for like uh, the regular podcast, but um, you guys have sort of answered this. Have you been, has the pandemic changed the way you've been making or have you been trying to photograph through this together in your home? It's okay. Uh, the, we have very good, very interesting lighting uh, that uh, changes depending on the, the, the weather. Uh, and I augment it sometimes with uh, artificial light, but uh, I've been able to photograph, uh, especially Maryland uh, during this time. Well, I've loved talking with you. I'm sure you probably want to get on with your day. No, <laughs> <talking> <laughs> Okay, well, have a good rest of your day. Thank you. Yeah, we look forward to meeting your family sometime too. Or okay, definitely. Lucky okay, <laughs> all right, bye. Bye bye. <laughs> bye, -bye. Thank you for listening to Focal Point. Focal Point is presented by the Museum of Contemporary Photography at Columbia College Chicago in partnership with WCRX FM Radio. Special thanks to Matt Cunningham, Wesley Reno, Sam White, and Zach Cunning. Music is by Zabi. To see the images we discussed today, please visit mocp.org backslash focal point. You can also follow the Museum of Contemporary Photography on Facebook and Instagram at mocpchi, that's M-O-C-P-C-H-I, and on Twitter at mocp underscore Chicago. If you enjoyed our show, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to Focal Point anywhere you get your podcasts.